talk to you for just uh, just a second. Let me just spend a few minutes reminding all of us of, of how God has, has worked in our life. And I'll give you just a second to, to get yourself settled and let's get focused on what the Lord wants to do in this, this service this morning. You know, if you'll just think back with me, and I realize we have some guests and this part maybe won't apply to you. It'll maybe let you a little know a little bit more about who we are as a church, but if you've been here for, for any length of time in this church, I think you would have to agree with me that God has been very, very good to this church. Amen? I mean, uh, you can just go back over th- the years and you can just see the, the hand of God and, and what He's been trying to do in, in, in this church and, and the ways that, that He's worked. I, I feel a little bit like we were like Josiah in Second Chronicles chapter 34, and you don't need to, to turn there, I'm just making reference to it, but... But Josiah took the throne when he was eight years of age. I mean, that's pretty freaky. And what the scripture says is that after his eighth year, he began to seek the Lord. And buddy, when Josiah began to seek the Lord, all kind of incredible things began to happen. One of the first things that, you, that happened, if you go back and check it out in the book of Second uh, Kings and in the book of Second Chronicles... As he began to seek the Lord, the people began to seek the Lord, and when they began to do that, you know, you remember what happened? They found something. You remember what they found? They found the book, man. And buddy, when they found the book, and then they began to really begin to see just how far away from God they really were, and once they began to see that, they began to confess sin, and things were different in the kingdom. And... What happened for us is, and we can go back to, you know, this has been a a church filled with, in my estimation, good people for a long time, long before I ever got here. But I I do know that some significant things began to take place. You remember when we were remodeling this room and we were over in the gymnasium back in the the old days, and I I remember something very significant began to take place when we were were over in that gym. You You know what I think God began to do in us? I think God began to put a thirst in us for Him. And we began to seek God. And, and you know what began to happen shortly thereafter? God started bringing the right people into our path that would just kind of come in and, and take a light and say, have you ever considered this? And God began to expose more and more of Himself to us and give us more and more light. And one of the first people that He brought in was, was Jeff Adams. And... Jeff had been here for just a, a, a little missions night that we had, and as I was taking him back to the airport, he said, you know, one of these times we're going to have to get together and do a little how to study the Bible thing. And I said, oh, yeah, this would be great for our people. They'll really enjoy that, you know. So I'm setting this thing up for y'all. And about 75 of y'all re- responded to that thing. We're over there in the chapel. And, and, of course, you know, since I'm part of this church, I went too. You know, I didn't need how to study the Bible like y'all did. And so I, I was sitting in there, and, and you, what God was showing me is this wasn't for anybody else. Now, maybe y'all, some of you gleaned some stuff, but that was for me, man. And it was for a lot of other folks as well. But you know what God began to do it through that conference? He began to let us discover this book. Now, the book was there all along, but I'm just telling you, by the end of that conference, this was a new book. And, man, we began to get into this book, and this book began to, to, to come alive. And, and all of a sudden, God began to do some incredible things around this place. As it says in First Thessalonians chapter 2, 
he, Paul is, is thanking God as he's writing back to these Thessalonians and he says, you know what just thrills my heart? You know what I'm so thankful for? Is that when we came to you and we gave you the word of God, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. What happened to us way back then was we no longer began to look at this as the words of men. In a real nice translation, we, we came to the point where we believed what we held in our hands was the Word of God. It wasn't the words of men that we held in our hand, the very word and words of the living God. And I just want to tell you, when we did that, the same thing that happened in the Thessalonians happened in us. What he says is when you receive the Word of God like that, it effectually worked in you who believed. And that's what God has done. He has effectually worked in us once we began to believe that we had his book. And once we began to get it, man, you know what? We, we started having a, a, a little theme. It wasn't like we put it on the walls like we used to or anything like that. It was just every week. It just seemed as we began to discover this book, God just kept shouting out to us the fact that we're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. And, and do you remember right after that How to Study the Bible conference, we went into the book of Colossians. You remember that? We went into the book of Colossians, and what we began to see is that as you begin to just step back from the Word of God, you find that Paul wrote seven letters to seven churches or groups of churches. And something just real coincidental is over here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, our Lord wrote seven letters to seven churches. And when you begin to take those letters and place them next to each other, what you begin to see is there is a very, very distinct connection and correlation. And we began to see that in the, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, that they also represented seven periods of church history, the last of which, of course, is the letter written to the Laodiceans. We began to see that in the book of Colossians, it is the only other time in the entire Word of God where the word Laodicea is found. And in that little epistle that has only four chapters, the word Laodicea is found five times. And we began to make this connection that the letter that specifically relates to people who are living in the Laodicean church period, the period in which we find ourselves presently living in, is the book of Colossians. And man, we went to the book of Colossians, and this book came alive to us once we began to see that this had a very distinct application to us. And we began to see that everything that he was dealing with in that book had to do with those of us living in the last days. And once we finished the book of Colossians, you'll remember we went into the book of First and Second Thessalonians, the books in the New Testament that just happened to teach us the doctrine of the last days. It's where the church of Jesus Christ goes to understand the doctrine of the rapture and of the second coming of Christ. And so can you see what began to happen through the years? We found this book. God began to show us some very, very basic principles about how to go to this book and find out what was really in it. As we're doing that, God just keeps shouting out, you're living in the last days. You're living in the last days. And you can, you can remember, and for those of you that weren't here, this is a great little history lesson for you. That's, that's why we're sitting where we're sitting today in the book of Revelation. We'll get to that in just a second. But all along, what God's been showing us is we're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. And you'll remember we came out of that study of, of 2 Thessalonians, and for a two-year parenthesis, 
we went into a study of church history and again the church history being lined out for us in revelations chapter revelation chapter 2 and 3 and every week what we began to see as we're going through church history is the reason that we see things the way that we see them the reason that we don't see them the way that god sees them is because we're laodiceans and we're blind and we really can't see and every week we're just pounding this thing about what what time it is on the, this planet we began to be able to see some things and discern some things that quite honestly people in the laodicean age don't like because when you begin to see the way that god sees and you see what's going on around you you don't call all of this stuff wonderful like the rest of the folks do people start saying you're too judgmental and all of those kind of things so then we came out of church history and we went into the book of ruth and we began to see that the book of ruth is all about a mighty man of wealth from the city of bethlehem who fulfills his responsibility to a, a young gentile young lady who is from a cursed race he fulfills the responsibility to her of the kinsman redeemer he sees her he falls in love with her he redeems her fallen estate and he takes her out of his harvest field to make her his bride and as we're coming through that what we began to see is we are that Gentile cursed race that human race that had fallen captive by sin our souls had fallen and we were in great despair and a mighty man from the city of Bethlehem made himself our kinsman redeemer and came to this planet took on human flesh to lay his life down he fell in love with us he redeemed us and he is soon going to take us out of his harvest field to make us his bride and we are that generation of people and we began to see through the book of ruth that oh hey listen that book's been there all along and it's always had a distinct application for anybody who'd ever pick it up but let me tell you it has a real distinct application when you realize that we are that group of believers who is going to be taken out of the harvest field out of the planet earth and brought to the mighty man of wealth from the city of bethlehem to become his bride that's an incredible thing and so colossians it's the last days first and second thessalonians it's the last days church history it's the last days the book of ruth it's the last days and then we come to the book of revelation where god just takes it and he says listen you need to understand what time it is on this planet and we we, we went to the, this book and what my real goal in, in going here was so that we might be able to go and we might really fully understand that we are in fact living in the last days and i wanted us to be able to get this book under our belt to see what it is that is going to be taking place to the people who are on this planet at this very moment and we've been week after week working our way through the the, the tribulation period trying to remind ourselves that the people that are on this planet who don't know christ these are the very people that are going to go through this incredible intense time of persecution and suffering and trouble and tribulation it's those people and I, and I just got to tell you one of the biggest fears that, that I have is that we're going to come within 18 inches of really missing the message that God has for us in this book you see folks now, now listen to me i'm afraid that if we're not careful we're going to understand this book with our head and it have nothing to do with our heart 
I'm afraid that what's going to happen to us is we're going to miss this message by 18 inches. We're going to miss what all of this stuff that we see week after week after week in this place, what this ought to be doing to affect our lives. And you've heard me mention this. I've had this, this, this fear that what's going to happen to this church is that as we get into the midst of this thing and we go further and further into it and we see more and more about what's going to take place and we read more and more ahead and we see all of these weird things that we really can't understand just yet because we haven't gotten there yet, I'm just afraid that if we're not careful that all of this stuff is going to become an intellectual pursuit that we're going to have and we're going to come in here to fulfill our intellectual curiosities about what all of this book has and we want to come in here and have a, a, as a pursuit learning all of this stuff so that we can impress people with our knowledge of this book of the Bible that most people on this planet don't even really believe that people can understand and yet going through all of that and it never really accomplishing in us what this book really ought to be accomplishing in us. And, and this morning, we're, we're in Revelation chapter 12. We're halfway through, at least halfway through, our, our study of this book now. And, and I just got to tell you, I felt that before we could go any further, that what we needed to do is just have a little, little checkpoint, a little heart checkup to see if we're, if we're really getting from this study what we ought to be getting. Now, we know it's the last days because, I mean, you... you you, you just couldn't be a part of this church for any length of time and not get the fact we're living in the last days and we, and we, we know that. We know the times and, and seasons, but the question is, is it really affecting us the way that this ought to be affecting us? And, and first of all, let, let me take you this morning to Luke chapter 12. Let me show you here a principle that Jesus taught about this, this thing of knowing the, the times and the seasons. Luke chapter 12, and of course I, I think you realize that God had gone to, to great lengths to inspire the Old Testament prophets with his word so that his people might have all the information that they would have ever needed in order to recognize the time of Christ's first coming to this planet. He had laid all of that out in the Old Testament and gone great lengths to, to make sure that that was understood. And because of that, when Jesus came on this planet... And people didn't recognize, especially the Jewish leaders, when they didn't recognize who he was, he indicted them because they missed who he really was. And look at what he said here in Luke chapter 12 and verse 56. He says, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this Time. And I think it's obvious by the, the, the strength of the, the Lord's words here when he calls these people, you hypocrites. I, I think it's very clear that they were responsible to know the times and the seasons that God had revealed in the scripture, to know what the time was and to conduct themselves accordingly based on what time it was on this planet. And, and I believe that there is that same accountability today. God has gone to great lengths in the New Testament to show us times and seasons and we're responsible to know them and again because God has has led us in the last eight years or, or so through the book of Colossians first and second Thessalonians church history Ruth and now Re Revelation listen this is a group of people that knows times and seasons at least 
with our heads. But I want to spend a, a few minutes this morning to see if all of this understanding that we have of eight years of teaching now, I want to see if it's made that little 18-inch journey from our head to our heart. Because you see, the Bible reveals to us that there are some very measurable ways that understanding times and seasons ought to affect our lives. I'm not going to give you my little, you know, what I think this should be doing. I'm going to take you to the Word of God today, and I'm going to show you what God says, this study that we've been in, in the book of Revelation, what this study ought to be doing in our lives. And so what we're going to do today is, and, and, and I know that this is not going to satisfy your intellectual curiosities, but what we're going to do is we're going to take our life, and we're going to lay it next to what the Word of God says ought to be happening, and we're going to see just where we are, just to have a little checkpoint so that we don't miss the real message that God has for us in this incredible book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But turn with me to the book of 1 Chronicles, if you would. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and, and look with me at verse 32. And you'll notice in verse 32 that it is said of the descendants of Issachar that they were men who had understanding of the times. And again, that's the same responsibility that we have. But now, now listen to me, because I know some of you know this verse because we, we have referred to it. But now listen, because you know the verse, don't, don't misapplying this to yourself, okay? I, I want you to see here the impact the rest of the verse says that that understanding of the times had on that group of people. They were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Because they had an understanding of the times, they knew what Israel ought to do. And, and listen, when, when we're responding to, to times and seasons with our hearts, and not just our heads, that understanding is going to impact our lives in the same exact way that it did the men of Issachar. It's going to let us know what we ought to do. You know what? Big, big corporations hire people whose sole responsibility is to study the economic market and the various trends that are going on in the world economically, in our country, and in the world in general. And these men, because they study that, and because they have the understanding of the times, these people tell the heads of the corporation what they ought to do about investing. Uh, they, they are the ones that are telling them, these are the decisions you need to make financially for this company. The, this is where you need to take the resources and where you need to invest them. And I think that God's trying to say to us here that if we have an understanding in our hearts of what time it is, from his perspective, that what we're supposed to be doing is going to be very, very clear to us. And yet I got to tell you, there's still a lot of people in this church that are filling out all the information on the study sheet, but spiritually, it's like you're taking the standing eight count and you don't know what it is that you're supposed to do. You say, well, well, what is it that we're supposed to do? Well, Peter 
tells us very specifically what understanding the times ought to show us that we ought to be doing. So let's go over there to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. You'll notice when you get to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 that the context has to do with how to identify the last days. Do you see that there in verse 3? He, he tells us that one of the key identifying marks of the last days is that scoffers are going to come along who, look, look at the last part of the verse, who walk after their own lust. And, and listen, I, I think it's very significant that God put that, that in there because you see, now understand this, one of the things that you and I as human beings were never designed to carry in our life is guilt. And when a man or a woman lives their life walking, as it says here, after their own lust, in other words, they, they live their life to fulfill the cravings of their body, whatever their body tells them to do, they do. What, what happens in a person's life who lives their life like that is they experience guilt. Even if they don't have a Bible, even if they've never picked up a Bible, they experience guilt because the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 15 says that God wrote His law on their hearts. And when they experience that guilt, there's several things they can do with it. Number one, they can go to God and they can come to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to forgive us of every sin that we've ever committed and they can find the forgiveness that is found through the Lord Jesus Christ and the guilt can totally be removed and of course that's that's what God wants to do some of you folks are here this morning and you live in guilt and God wants you to know you can bring all of your sin to him with none of your good works just leave all of that just come with just just like you are with all of your sin, what you'll find is the God of this universe will love you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid your debt, who paid for your sin. That's what God wants you to, to do with it. Or, you can live your life like that, and, and you, can, you can be guilty, and you can feel bad about it until you finally violated your conscience and come to the place that the Bible says that your conscience has been seared with a hot iron. In other words, it's numb. It doesn't even have any feeling anymore. And you can just ramrod your life on, on that way. But God tells us here in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 that in the last days, man's going to find another way to deal with his guilt. And the way that man's going to find to do that in the last days is he is simply going to remove God. You see, if there's no God, then you don't have to be guilty about anything. Because if there's no God, then there's no real, authoritative, moral standard. And if there's no moral standard, then you don't have to feel guilty about anything. And you see, the rationale God says that people will use in the last days is that they're going to come along and they're going to say, Yeah, 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 you know those Christians have been talking about that Jesus is going to be coming back. And every generation says that, and every generation is wrong. He never does, and what's more, he never will. Things just keep continuing the way that they always have. And they always will. Is that not what's going on in this day and time? I, I bet you, I, I bet you any amount of money, we could find a dozen people that this week somebody threw that up. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys are all like, everybody always says that. And, and people scoff 
at us because we believe that we're living in the last days. And again, the rationale is people are going to excuse all of this because he hasn't come back yet and all things continue as they were. And what Peter goes on to reveal in this passage is the fact that things aren't going to continue the way that they always have. And he begins to describe in verse 10 the second coming of Christ to this planet that will come upon the people of the earth, he says, like a thief in the night. And he takes it on out to the end of that thousand-year day in the which, he says, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And then he says in verse 11, Seeing then, and I want you to just file that word seeing there because it's very key to show us what, what God's trying to get us to see in this passage. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be. And folks, it's the very same thing that we've been talking about this morning. If you see these things, if you have the understanding of these things, of these times, as it were, what Peter says is it's going to have an impact on your life. Just like the men of Issachar had the understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, Peter is saying to us here, if you have an understanding of the last days, if you see these things, you'll know what you ought to do. And what will this understanding reveal to us about what we ought to do? First of all, he tells us in verses 11 through 14 that seeing these things or understanding these things will show us, number one, how we ought to live a holy and godly life. How we ought to live a holy and godly life. Verse 11, look at it, says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And in all holy conversation simply means you ought to be holy in every single area of your life. So, understanding the times and the season helps us to know what we ought to do. And Peter tells us that, first of all, it shows us how we ought to live a holy and godly life. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing, understanding, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, folks, I guarantee you, when in your heart you know what time it is from God's perspective. And please understand what, I, I, what I'm saying here. I'm not saying when you know it here. I'm talking about when this really affects you the way that God wants it to affect you. When it's down here in, in your heart and you know how close he is to actually kicking in Daniel's 70th week, that time of tribulation. If you really understand that, listen, you wouldn't need me or anybody else to come up here and to tell you not to commit adultery or fornication or a drink or whatever it is that, that you find yourself dabbling around in, you know what you would do? Peter tells you what you do. If you really see this, if you really understand this, you would give all diligence to be certain that when he comes, you are without spot 
and blameless. You'd be certain that you're living a holy and godly life. See, that's why I'm saying to you, I'm afraid we're going to go through the study of the book of Revelation and it not get us where we're supposed to be getting. I'm asking you, do you live in all areas of your life? Do you live a holy and godly life? We're going to come back to 2 Peter here, but you're right here at 1 John. I want you to look over in chapter 3 and look at verse 3. He says, Every man that hath this hope in him. What hope is that? Look, look back in verse 2. That when Jesus is going to, that Jesus is going to appear and when he does, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. And John says, look at verse 3 again now. Every man. Now I want you to listen to me. What he is saying here is that this doesn't just happen every once in a while. This isn't just the way it happens with some people. No, he says this is what happens to every single man that hath this hope in him. Look at what it says he does. He purifieth himself even as he is pure. He doesn't lower the standard. He doesn't make everybody else the standard and say, well, I'm, I'm more pure than the other people. No, he holds Jesus Christ as the standard, and you set yourself to that. And you see, when you really understand what time it is, when it's really hitting you the way that it should, what's going to happen to you is you're going to give all diligence to be found in him without spot and blameless. You'll purify yourself. And folks, if you want to know whether or not you're getting out of this study of the book of Revelation what you ought to be getting. Let me just ask yourself, ask you a few things. Are you finding, as we go further and further in this study, are you finding that you have got within you more and more of a hatred for the sin in your life? Now, now listen, I, I know that there ain't anybody in here that is that's perfect. I know that we all sin. I'm just asking you. Has the study of the book of Revelation done anything to that? Do you find more and more of a hatred for that sin in your life? Are you finding in your life more and more of a desire to be like your Savior? More and more in you a desire to be pure as, as He is pure? Now, let me ask you folks, is there any evidence in the last year and a half, is there any evidence in your life that you're purifying yourself? I mean, if I was going to ask you today to write down the areas of your life where you found yourself becoming more and more pure, is there anything that you could write? Or do you come in here and, and, and fill out your study sheet with all the right facts and all the right cross-references, and, and all the right interpretations, and explain, oh, that's good, yeah, I'll make sure I get that in my Bible, and, and file all this stuff in your head, so that when you're out there, you can come across like you're the big stud, you know, Bible answer man, and you, you got all of this stuff down, while you go out of here each week, thinking the same lustful thoughts, exalting the same selfish pride, fulfilling the same carnal flesh, committing the same abominable sins. I'm just telling you, if that's what's happening to you, 
you need to let God shake you today because you're going to miss a great way for God to do something very significant in your life. What he's showing us here is that when you really understand the times, it impacts your life. It has to, if you really understand it, if you really see it. I don't want to get us too far from First Peter, but I do want you to turn back for just a second to the book of Second Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. And he says in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, now watch this, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And again, I ask you, can, can you point... I'm really, I'm wanting you to think, I don't want you to raise your hand, I don't want you to write it down. I I want to ask you though, can you point to one thing in your life that this study has caused you to cleanse out because it's filthy before God? If I were to ask you right now, take out a sheet of paper, I want you to put at the, the, the top of it, areas of the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit that have been cleansed out of my life in the last year and a half. Number one. Could you make a list right now of of those things? Does your life give evidence, as he says here, that you are perfecting holiness? Listen, perfecting holiness means that over the last year and a half, we ought to be more holy today than we were when we started this thing. And I ask you, are you? Perfecting holiness means that you ought to be more holy today than you were six months ago. And I ask you, are you? Perfecting holiness means that you ought to be more holy than you were six weeks ago. It means you ought to be more holy than you were six days ago. What it means is the further and further we go and the later and later it gets and the more and more understanding we have of this book, what it ought to be doing is causing us to be changing in every area of our life. And I'm asking you, is it happening? And if it is, man, that's great. We're just coming to one of these checkpoints today, and we're just trying to find out, are we getting what we're supposed to be getting? Are you becoming more and more intolerant of all sin in your life? Or are you you still holding on to, to a few pet sins to keep around? You, know, you never know when you're going to need them, you know? Look at what he says. Let us cleanse ourselves from... What's the next word, y'all? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And I'll just tell you, I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed at what people who say they believe that we're living in the last days, it is just absolutely mind-boggling to me. The depths of sin, the people that can say that out of their mouth, the depths of sin that they can plunge themselves into. I know that this seems weird that we would have to say this, but I'm going to say it. To this group of people that knows very well the times and the seasons, 
I want you to understand, folks, committing adultery is filthiness in the sight of God and needs to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. Committing fornication is filthiness in God's sight. It's to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. Involvement in homosexuality is filthiness in God's sight. And it is to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. Gratifying yourself with sexual lust or any other means of sexual self-gratification. Hello? It's filthiness in God's sight. And it is to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. Indulging in pornography or any kind of sexually explicit, explicit literature. It's filthiness. It's filthiness in the sight of God and it is to be cleansed out of your life. Being emotionally involved with somebody that is not your spouse is filthiness in the sight of God and is to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. Bitterness or an unforgiving spirit toward another person. It's not just a thing you're struggling with. It is filthiness in the sight of God and needs to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. An explosive temper is filthiness and it needs to be cleansed. Not being honest in business on your taxes with your personal finances as a steward before God. Or listen, dishonesty in any facet of your life. It's filthiness in the sight of God. And it is to be repented of and cleansed. Taking anything into your body that brings you under its control, whether you drink it, whether you smoke it, inhale it, swallow it, shoot it, snort it, whatever it is. And you know, I'm, I'm serious. You have to say these things in the Laodicean church age or people come to church and walk right out the back door saying, well, isn't that a cool study? No, listen. It's time that we understand that this is not just a bunch of stuff to fill our heads with. It's time that we shook ourselves and said, I believe it's in the last days. He's coming back, and I sure don't want to be found as a pervert when he comes back. Anything that you take into your body that controls you, it is filthiness, and it needs to be cleansed. Young people, not being obedient to your parents, manifesting a rebellious spirit, it's filthiness in the sight of God. Absolute filthiness. And it needs to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. Men, not loving your wife with, your wife with the same self-sacrificing love that Christ had for His church is filthiness. It's absolute filthiness. It stinks in His nostrils because He loved you with that self-sacrificing love and He says, now that's the way I want you to love your wife. And when you don't, it's filthiness in God's sight and it needs to be repented of and cleansed out of your life. Ladies, not submitting to your husband is filthiness in the sight of God. It needs to be cleansed and removed out of your life. And listen, whatever it is that you're thinking right now, 
that God has brought to your mind that you're afraid that I'm getting ready to mention <laughs> is filthiness. Listen, the reason that it came to your mind is because you know, you know it's filthiness. And it needs to be cleansed. That's what, let us cleanse ourselves from, say it with me, all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. Now, Pastor Mark, you know what? Every time that this church gets full, you always do this. <laughs> Don't you know that we're living in the last days for crying out loud and people in the last days when they come to church want to come and be encouraged? Let me talk to you. The most encouraging thing that could ever, 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 ever take place in your life is for you to come in somewhere and for the Spirit of God to absolutely wear you out because of your sin to the point to where you, you, you shake and you confess that sin and it's removed. You want to talk about encouragement? Man, you'll be so encouraged you won't know what to do with yourself. But come in in these last days and have somebody coddle you because it's just so tough out there. It ain't tough. The Spirit of God lives in us. Amen? Amen. When are we going to shake ourselves and say, okay, I really believe this stuff. It ain't just in my head. I understand. He's coming back. And I sure don't want to be involved in anything that would defile him when he comes back. Oh, let me tell you something, man. When we'll, when we'll do business with God, we'll get encouraged. But listen, if you're waiting for us to turn a corner around here, where we're going to be petting everybody that comes in here and making everybody feel good, let me just save you a few years. It ain't going to happen. Not, not in light of what time it is. We don't have time to be messing around coddling folks. Now listen, listen. I understand, I understand that we're all dealing with sin. It's time we dealt with it with God and stop coddling it and making ourselves feel good, keep look, looking around and seeing everybody else that's a little bit worse than we are and saying, well, at least I'm not that bad. No, when you really have this in your heart, when you really understand what time it is, what it does to you is it causes you to purify yourself even as he is pure. So you can feel good. You get that standard up there so you can feel real good when you get to where you're walking in holiness. And please do not, do not don't even tell me that you believe that the Lord's going to come back at any moment and he's going to remove off of the face of this planet every true believer and that you can just go and come in week after week and go out of these doors and tolerate sin in your life. Nope. That's not what the book says. It's not what Pastor Mark says. And if I've got you all ticked off this morning, I just, I dare you to go and just show me where Pastor Mark has gone outside of the scripture this morning. Because what it says, if you see that these things will be dissolved, if you really understand what time it is, it's going to have and create in you an urgency toward purifying ourselves and cleansing ourselves. It'll show us what we ought to do. It'll show us that we ought to live a holy and godly life. But not only that, 
Peter shows us something else that knowing the times and seasons ought to do to affect our lives. Number two, we ought to win the lost. We ought to win the lost. Look, look at verse 15. Go back to 2 Peter 3 if you're not already there. Look at verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And listen, verse 15 is connected with verse 9. Go back to verse 9, look at it. It says, For the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you see, if I understand that the only reason that God has not already come in judgment upon the world is because He is long-suffering. And folks, that's exactly what verse 9 is saying. The scoffers are going around saying, He ain't coming back because it ain't ain't a part of anything. It's not true. And and what he's saying here is, oh yeah, it is true. And the only reason that He has not, not already come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that don't know God, is because... He's long-suffering. And listen, our God in heaven this morning longs for those that are still separated from Him. He longs for them to repent. And, And you see, listen, if I understand how little time is left in this season that we call the church age and the fact that the rapture ushers in what Malachi called the great and dreadful day of the Lord, when I really understand that, it'll put an urgency behind the message that He has put into our trust. See, that's exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Two weeks ago, when I was... The last time we were in the book of Revelation, we were in chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. And what we saw was what's going to take place in the middle of the tribulation period. When Michael and his angels have a war with Satan and his angels, we saw the result. Satan is cast down to this earth. And what we found out is when he comes down to this earth, he sees his urgency because he sees that his time is what? His time is short. And because he sees that his time is short, he focuses all of his time and all of his energy and all of his resources on his mission. He numbers his days in morning, noon, and night. He eats and drinks and sleeps his mission. And I'm just telling you, folks, when we really understand in our hearts, when we really understand in our hearts what time it is and how short our time is, it is going to teach us to number our days and it'll put an urgency behind the mission that has been put into our trust to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature we'll find ourselves when we really believe this in our heart we'll find ourselves because we know the time is short we'll find ourselves focusing all of our time and all of our energy and all of our resources on reaching the lost people of this world and we'll go after it morning, noon, and night and we'll eat it, we'll drink it, and we'll sleep it. It'll become the purpose behind every single thing that we do. Every single day. Going to work, coming home, dealing with the family, going somewhere with the family. It all comes down to what is our mission? And until then, all we're doing is just getting lots of good information 
about the book of Revelation. As long as we're taking a lackadaisical attitude toward the lost people of this planet, then I'll just tell you, folks, we really haven't seen what time it is. We haven't really seen what we need to see about times and seasons. You see, the, the, the message of the book of Revelation ought to cause all of this information that we take in every week. If we really understand it, if we really believe it, it ought to cause it to make that 18-inch journey down here. And once it gets in here, folks, I guarantee you, it'll get to our feet. It'll get to our life. So, so Peter tells us that knowing times and seasons is going to show us some things. It's going to show us how we ought to live a holy and godly life. It's going to show us that we ought to win the lost. And number three, it's going to show us that we ought to grow spiritually. Look at verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing, here it is again, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And notice, someone who's truly saved can't fall from their salvation, but they can fall from their own, what? Their own steadfastness. Verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter told us back in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he told us to desire the sincere milk of the Word. Just like a baby, he says, craves milk, crave the milk of this Word that we may grow thereby. And what he lets us know in this passage, he lets us know that real growth, the kind of growth that he, he's looking for us to have, isn't just learning facts in a book. It's getting to know Christ Himself. His person. Look at verse 18 again. He says, But grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Know Him. You see, folks, listen. Knowledge of the Bible will make you look like you've grown. But according to 1, Peter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what it says that knowledge itself, knowledge alone, listen, it puffs up. It makes you look like you've grown, but all it has done really is just caused you to be swollen. It's puffed you up. But listen, when you get to know Him, you can't help but fall in love with Him. And 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up up and you begin to grow as you go to this book not just to fill yourself with a bunch of facts but you go to this book because this is the only way that God has left us on this planet to know him and you see a, a lot of us know a whole lot more about revelation than when we started in, in fact most of us in this room could explain the first 12 chapters of this incredible book. But in the midst of being able to explain it, a lot of us still haven't grown spiritually. It hasn't caused you to be steadfast in your walk with Christ. You just, you, you keep falling. You keep falling. And the reason is, is because it's all, it's all up here. 
and it's not down here because when it gets down here it doesn't swell you up it humbles you and you start falling in love with your Savior and when you start falling in love with with Him through the pages of this book you start growing and, and that growth leads you to begin to long for Christ to be glorified you see that, that's that's what, he, what, he, what he's talking about here at the end of verse 18 he says to him be glory both now and forever you know what all this stuff that we've been studying in the book of Revelation seeing that all this stuff is going to take place on this planet it ought to cause us to have in our hearts a desire for him to get the glory that he deserves and, and, and let, now don't pack up on me but we're not going to finish our outline this morning but listen to me all this stuff that we've been seeing we're, we're living in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22 I, I believe that with all my heart the very last verse of the letter written to the Laodiceans you, you know what the verse says he that hath ears to hear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I, I believe right now that in the midst of all of the hoopla that's going on all over the globe in the name of Jesus and all the rah, 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 most of the stuff that Jesus doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with, I believe the Spirit of God is trying to, to say, is there anybody that's really going to listen to my voice about what time it is and when you really hear it when you really see it when you really understand it in your heart you cannot keep sinning the same sins you deal with it it causes you to live a holy and godly life and you cannot look at the people of this planet that you know are going to go through the awful tragedies of everything that we've been studying for all of these weeks you cannot look at them and say it doesn't affect me no, it puts something inside of you that says if our Lord is long-suffering and the only reason He hasn't come is because He loves them and you love Him, you'll fall in love with the lost people of this world. It'll affect you in that way. And listen, when you really understand what time it is, you'll have a desire to grow in knowledge of Him. And when you know Him, you'll love Him. And when you love Him, you will desire for Him to get the glory that He deserves. And you know what it's going to do in you? When you get the glory, or desire Him to get the glory that He deserves, it gets you praying. The way that He taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 and 10. The first request of prayer, we talk about this so often, but we, a lot of us got it here. It's just never connected here. When we love Him, when we know Him, we long for Him to get the glory that He deserves. And He will not get the glory that He deserves until He sits on His throne in Jerusalem and every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing that He is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. He sets up that millennial kingdom and for a thousand years rules over this planet. He will not get the glory that he deserves until that day. And when you love him, when this is happening in you the way that it ought to be happening, you are so growing in knowledge of him that you are so in love with him that you cannot wait. I mean, it becomes the focal point of your praying. Oh, God, I pray for your kingdom to come because I know it is not until then that you get the glory that you deserve and that is the passion of my heart for you to be glorified. And, and you see the refining impact that has on you? If you're really praying that from your heart and it's really the passion of your heart, oh, God, I want you to be glorified. Do you get up off your knees and go begin to commit all that horrendous list of stuff that we were talking about earlier this morning? You can't do it. It just, it's an impossibility when that is in your heart. And, and you see, that's what the study in the book of Revelation ought to be doing for us. Peter tells us, this is the stuff you ought to be seeing happening in your life. And I'm just asking you this morning, is it happening in your life? And, and if it is, man, God bless you. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. And if it isn't, then how about today? We let the Lord just shake us a little bit and say, Lord, I've let this stuff go on in my life far too long. Now listen, you may not have, you may not I may not hit your little pet sin today when I went through that the big hairy list. Did the Spirit of God call some things up that you know that you need to deal with? Do you believe that Jesus could come back today? If you do, you'll do business with what the Spirit of God has called to your attention. See, that's the whole message of what Peter's trying to get us to see. Do your best not to fall asleep right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to give you just a minute to talk to God about what He talked to you about today. Just keep your head bowed. If you're wondering right now what you ought to be saying to God, okay, if He's revealed some things to you about your life, like we saw there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, it's time to cleanse yourself from that, that filthiness and perfect holiness. Cleansing yourself is simply a matter of calling that sin exactly what God calls it. That's confessing your sin and right now willfully turn from that sin that's what repentance is I was going this way when I came in but I'm willfully turning and going a different direction Let me talk to you just, just a second. Again, now don't fall asleep now. But now, now listen. In our church, we, don't, uh, we give an invitation every Sunday. 
every Sunday we give an invitation. We just don't do it the same way that everybody attends to, to, to do it. It's not a biblical way to do it. Most folks have the piano come and they sing a song and people come down to the front and and again that that's fine that's just not the way that we normally do it but I, I will tell you this there is something something good about that because it's a it's a point it, there's a point of decision there, there's something that happens in, in your life when, when you step out like that it becomes a significant moment and I'm not going to ask you to step out today but if God has dealt with you about some things in your life today and you've dealt with God uh, about that this morning. W why don't you make it a significant time just by saying, Yeah, Mark, God spoke to me about my life. And that, with all my heart, I believe that I, I dealt with it today the way that God wanted me to. Would you, would you raise your hand right now? Okay, just keep it up for just a moment. All right, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God, by coming to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and confessing the fact that there is nothing that you can do to find access to God or to come into that relationship with God, and turning from religion, turning from good works, turning from some heritage, turning from anything in the world except for what Jesus Christ did for you on, on, the, on the cross. If you've never come to that place in your life, then we're going to invite you this morning as our service is concluded. While everybody else is going out and finding their way back into their afternoon, we're going to invite you this morning to, to just stay in this room. Our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room, and they'll be waiting there for you. Because we're inviting you today to come and talk to somebody about what the Bible has to say about you coming into a relationship with God on His terms. Not First Baptist terms, not the Baptist denominational terms, not some man's terms, not your own terms. But somebody will take a Bible and show you how you can come to God this morning on His terms. And if you have interest in that, we invite you, as our service has concluded, before you go back into the flow of life, let God do in you this morning what He wants to do. And now, Lord, <clears throat> I, I pray for people in this room that, that don't know You, and I pray that today the Spirit of God even now we'll con convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You, Father, would draw people to Yourself this morning. I pray that people would be saved today. And, oh God, the vast majority of the people that are in this room today do know You. They're a part of the fabric of this place. They've been a part of the study of Revelation for a year and a half, most of them. And I pray that today would be a day where our focus changes because our heart changed. And I pray that there will not be another Sunday 
that we'll ever be able to see anything out of this study in the book of Revelation that's going to be taking place on this planet in the very, very, very near future with it not affecting us in our, the area of personal holiness, in the area of our mission, in the area of coming to know you in a more intimate way and longing for you to get the glory that you deserve on this planet realizing that all of these things must come to fruition before you really get the glory that you deserve. So Lord, change us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.